This is WMPG. My name is Dr. Anne, and this is Safe Space, a live forum for courageous conversations. Tonight's show is part of our series on yoga and healing, and I'll be talking to Deb Cook about creating safe space with yoga. Yoga is continuing to grow as a practice in the United States with now over 11 million practitioners. In each of the previous shows in this series, we've talked about yoga as a source of healing for a particular, often stigmatized difficulty, such as depression, trauma, or sexual abuse. Today, Deb and I are going to talk about yoga as a regular practice to cultivate a connection with safe space inside. We'll be exploring the power of having that safe space through yoga as a place to come back to when new challenges arise. Deb Cook is a Kripala yoga teacher here in southern Maine. She's also the founder of Yoga in Maine, which offers classes, workshops, and retreats in beautiful places in Maine and also beyond. Deb has been the consultant for this series on yoga and healing, and it's been wonderful to work with you. Welcome to Safe Space, Deb. Thank you so much, Anne. I'm delighted to be here for this conversation. People are drawn to yoga for many different reasons, and often it's because people are seeking healing of some kind. So I'd love to start out by hearing what it is that brought you to yoga. Well, people are drawn to yoga for many reasons, some physical, some just recreational. My first yoga class was in college, actually, and that was about 30 years ago. I had a PE credit to satisfy and had been hearing about yoga. It wasn't as mainstream as it is now. And I thought it would help me strengthen the muscle to focus in my studies. You know, full class load, needing to jump from from class to class, subject to subject. I needed a way to help focus my mind. And I don't know where I I don't know how I knew that about yoga. So I didn't approach it as a physical practice, even though it was part of the phys ed credit that I needed to satisfy. I approached it as a mindful practice. And it satisfied that piece. I remember in one class, we had this um, crazy little space right next to the basketball court. And there was basketball practice going on, and it was loud. And here we were having a yoga class. And the teacher said, okay, just make this part of your focus and bring your attention back to your sensations in the body as you're doing your asana. Bring your attention back to your breath. And it was that steady focus, giving the mind something to focus on other than what was going on around outside of this. And of course, that's the metaphor for a yoga class. You know, we all come in with this sort of chatter in our mind or the busyness of our days. And finding a way to turn that off is a difficult process unless you give the mind something else to focus on. You can't really sit down and say, okay, now I'm going to be quiet and peaceful when you've had a crazy busy day. It's really hard to do that. You know, going for a walk, that can help. But finding some way. So in yoga, We use asana, we use the postures to bring the mind to focus on sensations in the body because we all are living in our bodies. It's an immediate access point to focus on sensations. Sometimes when I first heard that about yoga, I was really struck because I thought, well, maybe that's why the poses can be so uncomfortable. (laughs) It's because the sensation is so intense that it, it really grabs your mind. There's a saying in yoga that finding the balance between effort and ease. And in some respects, 
the posture should be challenging enough so that your mind doesn't wander. So it shouldn't be so challenging that it hurts, of course, but it should have a little bit of edge in it so that when you're doing a posture that has a little bit of challenge to it, it can help you bring stillness to the mind because the, you have to focus on, you know, if it's a balanced posture or, you know, what's going on. And of course, the more the more focus you have on the posture, the safer it is because you're attending to what's going on in the body. Oh, I need to shift a little. Oh, I need to modify this. So, Oh, I'm tearing a muscle. I better stop. <laughs> is that what you mean by safer? I won't injure myself? Well, yes. I mean, that's a basic safety of yoga. But I think there's another aspect to creating safe space with yoga. And that is the emotional space that you create for your own experience. Because we live busy and sometimes fractured lives, we don't always spend the time to connect with what's going on inside. So through stilling the mind, through training yourself to attend to physical sensation and the breath and dive deep inside, you're creating space for your emotional life. You're connecting with your soul. This is something I've never been sure I really understand. Because I go to yoga class, and I try to bring my attention to my sensation, and I try to bring my attention to my breath. But I can't do all of that and be present. To say I'm, say I'm really upset about something, and you're saying like, create a space to be present to your emotions, I don't know how to attend to my sensation, my breath, and my emotion all at the same time. So I've never really understood how... I get the part about stilling the mind because I'm focused on breath and sensation, but I don't get how that creates a space for emotion. There's a quote I love in yoga, uh, Swami Kripalu, who sort of brought the the mix uh, that is Kripalu yoga of asana and breath and meditation, said, self-observation without judgment is the highest form of spiritual practice. In yoga, what that means is if, you, if your mind is busy with something else that you can't seem to get away from, or you're dealing with something that's profound and, and just sitting with you, you bring that to yoga class, and it's okay. There's no goal in yoga. We say that about asana, and you know we've got all these fabulous photos on magazine covers and all that, but, but really it's about your own experience. So if you can get to the place where you can accept where you are, oh, I've got a busy mind. In fact, a student of mine on Monday night said, you know, what's the truth for me? I've got a really busy mind tonight. I said, okay, so you've got a busy mind. Great that you came to yoga. Sometimes through the process of going through a yoga class or a yoga practice, your mind may quiet. Sometimes it may not. But by cultivating that practice and by continuing to bring the mind to focus, and eventually drop into that quieter place inside, you cultivate it over time. It may not happen every time. It's you, a practice. When you say you cultivate it, you cultivate that capacity to observe without judgment? Absolutely. Absolutely. In yoga, we call it the witness. You cultivate the witness. You cultivate the ability to observe what's going on physically, emotionally, mentally, without attachment and without reaction. And then the marvelous thing, I mean, I love this. When you take yoga off the mat and you go into the world, 
you've got this tool. You've got a witness who can say, oh, this circumstance isn't really very comfortable, but can observe it and not react to it. Okay, so let's let's talk about this. I want to break this down because this feels really important, but it, it isn't so obvious the steps to get there, I don't think. So when I go to yoga class, for instance, none of this is really being talked about. I mean, what's being talked about is I put myself in the pose, and then there's a lot of alignment instruction, like push Safety. down there, tighten this, put that down, pick that up kind of thing. So you get yourself in alignment. There's a reminder, oh, yes, move with this inhale or move with that exhale, you know, use your breath. But they're not saying, now notice that whatever happened, you know, whatever is coming up for you, observe it without judgment. I don't think I've ever had, I mean, I have had teachers say, it's okay, really honor what you're needing. And if you can't do this fancy extra part to the pose, just without judgment, just honor where you are. I have heard that. So is that, is that the way that, that people get to this place of witness where they're not observing self? Because in the yoga classes that I go to, we don't talk about the witness. So it, there are stepping stones. And people go to yoga class to practice postures. That's a real access point. So creating safety is teaching alignment. So your teacher is creating safety in your yoga class by making sure that you've got the alignment right. Sounds like your teacher is also allowing you to modify the posture if it's not feeling right. And that's also a way to create safety in a class, to allow students who know their own bodies better than the teacher to create that safety. Over time, that is the process of watching and witnessing what's happening in the body you can do that process without necessarily doing the asana. You can sit and notice your breath and witness your breath and notice where your breath is breathing in your body. Or if you get into pranayama exercises that are directing the breath in a certain way, your guest Amy Weintraub talked about this, using the breath to create energetic experience. You're watching the breath and witnessing the breath. As you drop into meditation... You may not be, you know, noticing the breath quite as much. You might be just noticing the stillness. So it's a stepping stone. And asana is, it's a fabulous practice physically. It's also a really important practice to bring the mind to stillness so that you can be in that place of deep peace. So interesting, Bessel van der Kolk, who's been my guest also, he's a big trauma researcher in Boston, I recently heard him speak, and he said the most important word in psychotherapy is the word notice, which I thought was really mm. striking. And I'm hearing you use that word frequently, notice the sensation, notice your breath. So it really is this practice of bringing your awareness inside, and noticing implies not judging. Right. So, so what I'm struck by is it's almost insidious, like you start noticing or witnessing your experience through yoga without even realizing the, the bigger kind of grand principle that you're starting to observe. Absolutely. So your teacher doesn't necessarily need to spend time talking about those principles. He or she is giving you that experience. You may pick up what those principles are, do a little reading, go to a yoga philosophy class, learn a little bit more about the practice. But in the class, your teacher's offering you that experience. And as you move into the end of your practice and you're in Shavasana, 
you know, hopefully your your mind is a little more still, your body is relaxed, you've worked the body with the breath, you've relaxed the nervous system, and you can be in that place of peaceful stillness that over time is the safe space that yoga has created for you. You now know that your body can get to that quiet place and accessing it again becomes easier. It's such a wonderful, almost secret agenda in a way, because a lot of people go to yoga because they want to be more flexible. (laughs) I mean, that's probably the physical reason I hear a lot. Good stretching. Mm -hmm. But along the way, you get all this extra benefit that you didn't even know that's far more interior. I mean, for me as a psychiatrist, a lot of people I know do yoga because they want to get calmer, or they've heard that it helps with depression. But really, what you're talking about, that the highest form of spiritual practice is to notice yourself without judgment. Is that what you said? To observe without judgment? And that's actually being snuck in there all the time without even knowing it. Well, it's... Not snuck, maybe. (laughs) It, uh... The wonderful thing about yoga classes is that people can come for many different reasons, whether they are looking for flexibility to build strength. I have a lot of older students who come because they want to keep their balance strong as they get older, and some do come to counter depression. I have a student who was in a very serious accident about a year ago, and she's coming to yoga to both augment her physical therapy But also she realizes that in the relaxation, she's pain-free. And so there are many reasons. And you're all in the same class together. And there's not really a secret agenda. It's just the practice of yoga. So a teacher may or may not choose to offer those teachings in class. But it is the practice. The practice of yoga is we all think of it as a physical practice. It's an inquiry The Yoga Sutras, which are sort of the first written record of yoga, um, talk about yoga being an inquiry, and that yoga is the practice of stilling the chatter of the mind. So it's a mindful practice. The ancient yogis used asana so that they could sit in meditation. For them, it was just prep work. It wasn't the practice. The dessert for them was being able to sit in meditation and have their body be comfortable and open, have their breath be open, and have their mind be quieter. So they knew that they couldn't hop out of whatever their their yogi duties for the day were and sit in meditation. They had to give themselves this process to get there. And that is what we do in a yoga class. It's not always spoken that way. Some classes are more invigorating. Some classes are more relaxing. There's a wide range of different kinds of yoga. Some some yoga classes are specific to particular audiences, depression, trauma, exactly. chair yoga for people who can't get on the floor. So it's just it's a beautiful, continually changing practice as it adapts to the needs. These days... Yoga is being researched a lot for work around PTSD, for the benefits to the brain, as we all want to keep our brains healthy and sharp into our old age. So, so yes, it's a physical practice. It's much more than that as well. We, when we were talking to prepare for tonight, we, we were sort of realizing with, I think, delight the way in which yoga creates this 
this way to connect inside, which effectively is creating safe space. And so for Safe Space Radio, it just felt like a beautiful <laughs> thing to talk about that. And I'm curious to know when a person has, through yoga, arrived at that sort of sweet, quiet space inside, I mean, this is such an obvious question, but how will they know they're there? <laughs> what does it feel like to arrive there in yoga? How would you describe it? Well, I can I can relate to what students tell me. And I can also relate to the first time I felt that. So I'll start with that and then come back to what students tell me. When I was training 12 or so years ago, to become a yoga teacher, and I was at Kripalu. We had two classes a day, two hour and a half yoga practices a day. And I remember being in one of the practices, and I had a knowing that wasn't necessarily in my mind, but it, there was a knowing that this was really good for me. Of course, I knew it was good for me. I, you know, signed up to to do this two hundred hour training, ten day retreats at Kripalu, all this study, but there was a knowing. And and I can remember that today like it was like it was yesterday. Very clear sense. My body sensed how truly good this was for me. I don't feel that every time I practice yoga, but I know it's there. And it brings me back to my mat. When I practice I, I have a morning practice. I try to get to my mat every morning. Sometimes I'm on my mat for five minutes because I'm busy and I need to head off. But I try to have that practice. I don't get to that place every time, but I know that I'm nurturing it. It's like a relationship. There are moments of pure bliss in a relationship maybe with a child. They don't happen all the time, but the nurturing m- makes it possible for them to happen more frequently. So students, they notice it after they've come out of an experience, particularly when I do deep relaxation. I I do yoga nidra workshops. It's really deep relaxation, and it's a wonderful practice to augment a regular yoga class, but also for people who aren't necessarily attracted to the asana. They want that sense of very deep relaxation. And I can tell by looking at someone, you know, that they've dropped into this really deep, still place. What do they look like? They're very, they're very sweet looking. Mm. <laughs> and sometimes nonverbal. You know, you sort of drop into a, a place that you may not be visiting every day because your lives are busy. So it's just a, there's a sense of when, when someone comes out of it that they've been somewhere else. <laughs> You've described yoga, your practice, this practice that you tend, this relationship that you tend each morning as like a home to come back to when things are rough. And I'd love to ask you to tell me a story of a time where you needed that home and how it served you. What comes to my mind is several years ago when my dad died. We had just celebrated his 80th birthday and he was healthy and happy and by all visible means, was was going to live another 10 or 20 years. And two days later, he had a heart attack while he was swimming in the pool. So it was deeply shocking to all of us. 
And I had had a wonderful relationship with him and was attending to my mother, who was suffering from shock, and realized that I needed to attend to my own grief. But I didn't really have any capacity to do that. I was busy. I was helping her with the mechanics of, you know, home and what she needed and and then, you know, had to get back to the details of my life. My yoga practice held held the space for me to drop into the feelings of grief that were so important for me to touch and spend time with. Because I had a yoga practice already established, I could use that time to drop into that stillness and touch the softness that is grief and just be with it. I didn't have to make it be anything. Sometimes I cried. Sometimes I would just feel it. I didn't have to make it be anything. It gave me a bit of a structure, and because it was a familiar practice, and I knew that it was good for me. You know, I knew that movement, I knew that breath, I knew that just sitting with it was good for me. It held me to process what was a very profound shift for me. And so when you talk about a yoga practice helping you with, with this grief, do you mean... I mean, I, I, if I'm trying to picture myself doing that, I, I would almost find the asanas would actually almost get in the way. Like I'd want to just sit quietly with the breath. Do, when you talk about yoga, you, you mean, you're not always talking about asana. You're talking about sitting quietly with the breath sometimes. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Asana is one part of a yoga practice. And movement is, is good. But your practice could be breath. You could have a home practice that is sitting quietly, dropping into your body, sitting on a chair, and then attending to your breath, checking in to see what's real for you at that moment, and saying a prayer or a blessing or, or you know, just sending some goodwill out to the world and having a practice. So there were times when I was grieving my father's death doing yoga, that I was in child pose. You know, that was my practice, to be in child pose and to maybe sit with some meditation and some breathing. That helps me get, you know, back to the question I asked earlier about how do you pay attention to all of it at once, the sensation, the breathing, and the emotion. So sometimes you actually stay quiet and you don't move a lot and you just feel. Well, there's even And that a... counts as yoga. <laughs> <laughs> We have these expectations that a yoga practice has to look like what a yoga class looks like. And really, to create a practice for yourself is to take the elements of that that fit whatever you need in that moment. So you may have a morning practice that is some movement and some vigorous breathing. Your evening practice may be much more relaxing. So it, it certainly... It's a tool for you in your life to access that deep peace. How you access that is a creative, open process for you to do with whatever suits you. There's also yin yoga, which is a new adaptation of yoga postures that 
everyone's familiar with from yoga class, but the postures are held for three to five minutes. So you don't go through a lot of postures in, a, in one class. You may go through five or six and then do shavasana. It's a different practice. It, you know, it stretches the muscles differently. And are these more restful postures? Like, is this more what we call sort of restorative yoga? And then there is restorative yoga. And so those postures also are. So there's, as you look around the yoga landscape, there, there's a lot of yoga to choose from. Talking with a teacher, if you have particular needs, is really helpful ahead of time. But restorative yoga and yin yoga are, are different from one another, but they both hold postures for a long time. A lot of athletes now are using yin yoga as a real counter to the active, more muscular practice to get into the outer sheaths of the muscular body. In an interview I did with Michael Lee a few weeks ago on yoga therapy, he talked about how holding a posture for some longer period of time often can bring up emotions, unexpected images or feelings that that somehow get imprinted in the body in moments of tension. And then when you recreate that tension through a posture, may surface. Now, d- does that happen during yin yoga more than, say, in other forms of yoga? It may happen in yin yoga. Yoga postures often do break up um, in the Sanskrit word is samskaras in the body that are holdings that may have been created from either a physical or an emotional or a mental, but they're blocks. Massage can also do it. So yoga postures can help break that up to create more flow of energy. On that note, in terms of flow of energy, Dev Cook, we are going to need to stop. I need to say thank you so much for being my yoga teacher tonight. It's been a pleasure. really appreciated it. It's been a real pleasure. If you want to know more about Deb as a yoga teacher, I want to invite you to go to her website, which is www.yogainmaine.com, yogainmaine.com for more about Deb Cook. My thanks tonight to Jen Hodgson for mixing the sound and to Maurice Lennon for the music, and especially to you, Deb Cook, for being the consultant for this whole series. If you'd like to listen to this show in its entirety or email it to a friend, please go to our website in about a week. It'll be up at www.safespaceradio.com. You can subscribe there to get weekly emails. You can also like us on Facebook, download us from iTunes. Coming up next is Jody with Local Solutions.